Welcome to another message from Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill. You can find more about us by visiting gracewaydc.com or find Graceway DC on social media. Without a firm footing, we are unable to make a difference. The harder we try, the harder we'll fall. But this week's message looks at seven different descriptions of Jesus as our cornerstone, the bedrock that gives us the power to make a difference. Are your feet firmly planted in Him? Listen to this message from Pastor Wells to learn about our sure foundation. Peter is what we've been studying as we're finding and we're discovering how to make a difference. Now, I believe that God has assembled us as believers, as difference makers. Many of us are are working in the political realm or in the military realm or uh, working with uh, some other area, and we're trying to impact um, the difference makers and the change makers and uh, quite honestly, it's a fearful thing to to watch the direction our nation is going and the hearts and the minds of our, our young people want to go into, and not just young people, just people. And so we're saying, God, would you use us? And we're, we're looking at 1 Peter. Now, chapter number one, we have discovered all kinds of, of things and uh, all kinds of great things. Matter of fact, my Bible's all marked up here. I've got all these little... Uh, uh, color code going on here, this, that, and the other thing, and how God's chosen us and called us and equipped us and empowered us, and he wants to use us. The change that, that God wants to make will be channeled through you. Right. So turn to your neighbor and say, God wants to use you to make that difference. God wants to use you to make that difference. It's true. The change God wants to make it's going to be through people just like you and me. Uh, our subject today is our sure foundation. I was raised in Idaho on a, on a little farm, just a 20-acre farm, and um, my dad called it a hobby farm. That is, uh, you know, we had horses and cows, and we had a, a pasture, and we had uh, a field and a barn and things, but you really couldn't make a living on it. You just kind of lose money, but uh, you have fun doing it, and... Um, I thought myself to be uh, quite hardy and strong and, and able to stand. When we went to New Guinea, the mountains there and the, the surrounding area with lots and lots of rain, I discovered that I was not nearly as sure-footed as I thought I was. As a matter of fact, just as a 20-year-old guy and, and thinking of myself as strong and athletic and capable, I found myself playing the part of the fool <laughs> as I would slide down the mountains and uh, slip in the clay. And it seemed that our people uh, there in New Guinea, they could just stand anywhere and run and stop and turn the corner and they would never fall. They would never even slip. And, and I would ask him about that. And, and you know, it, really it was the strength of the foot that was developed without wearing shoes. And of course, we're Americans, we're born in shoes. And, and so we have no <laughs> foot foot strength there. And I developed a little bit, but not, not quite like uh, my people there. But I discovered this, no matter what upper body strength you have or skills you've developed, if you can't stand, if you're slipping, if you're sliding around, 
all of your expertise or development is negated. It's, it's just taken away from you. And many Christians have discovered that. They believe they're uh, called and chosen of God, but they're unable to stand. Our subject today, as we start in verse number four, is all about our foundation. And it's not any human element. It is supernatural. Verse number four says, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, unholy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient whereunto also they were appointed. Now, verse number nine. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Father, we come before you and we ask for your blessing. We've looked at just a portion of Scripture, and we're taken back uh, by the strength and, um, and how solid this foundation is. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would use us, that you would stir our minds. We ask and pray that none of us would be distracted. So, Lord, help us to put aside uh, superficial uh, things that might uh, steal away that eternal seed, the truth from our hearts and minds, and we ask this together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. It's been said that in order for people to feel significance and to feel, feel like life is worth living, you need three things. That is someone to love, something to believe, and something to do. Now, when you're first born, and we've got several little babies running around here. Well, they're not running yet. They're brand new babies, and that's a wonderful thing. And God has provided that mother and that father uh, to uh, just pour out that love upon that child, and it's a beautiful thing. And then later on, there'll be friends and, and siblings and, and grandparents and colleagues and, and uh, fellow students and then maybe employees later on. And, and hopefully, you've got a constructive and a, and a healthy environment where there, where there is love and respect and honor. But that's not enough. Love is not enough. You need something to believe. You need something to believe. And that's where Christ comes in, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then you need something to do. Everybody needs something to do. And if you don't have something to do, you kind of like, why am I here? Give me something to do. 
And that's where the church comes in. So our creator provides uh, the love. Christ is who we are to believe in. And what we are to do is is really the church, no matter uh, the occupation and the speciality we have in the world in which we live, we are to be actively involved in the word of God. Now, what's interesting is in this little passage that we just read together, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 down through verse number 9, there are seven descriptions of Christ that is our stone or our rock. And it's very interesting because this is Peter. This is Peter's epistle that he is writing. And Christ asked Peter a question. Who do men say that I am? And some people say this and some people say that. And who do you say that I am, Peter? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one. And then Jesus said this wonderful thing. He said, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And he didn't say, I'm going to build my church upon you, Peter, but upon this rock, this this great truth that you just spoke, that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm going to build my church on this incredible truth. That's Matthew chapter number 16. And that is Christ's reference to the church. He's going to build it. Now, verse number four gives us our first point. If you're going to just jot down our our points today, they're going to be very simple, straight from the scripture, so you can just underline it or highlight it or whatever you want to do. To whom coming as unto a living stone. And the first descriptive of the rock of truth, the bedrock of your foundation, that which you and I as difference makers as people that bring the change that God wants, the description of our foundation is Jesus Christ, the living stone. Now, that's sort of strange because you don't think of stones as living. As a matter of fact, this is a supernatural metaphor here because if you want to describe something that's dead, you would probably say it's it's stone dead. And you don't think of rocks as as living. Natural stones don't have any life. But Jesus always came to bring life. In John chapter 10 and verse number 10, he said, I am come that ye might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Jesus came to give life and abundant life. Now, not just existence. We all have existence. We're all alive. But a common phrase we use as an insult usually is get a life. And what that means is, you're just wasting your time. You're just existing. It doesn't mean you're dead. You know, you're breathing, your heart's beating, and, you know, all the systems are working in your body, but you're, you're just existing. And real life is found in God. Amen. That's why people that are just incredible athletes or incredible actors or incredible scientists or uh, incredible whatever they are, they're amazing in this one area, but they struggle with depressed or suicidal thoughts. Why? Because they don't feel their existence is worth the life that they have. And Jesus is the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When people say get a life, they don't know they mean this, but they're saying you're not in the, in the vocation. You're not in the place where your creator, your designer wants you to be. Now, they're usually not thinking that deep, but I, th- I say they are. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 4. We were in John 10. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 4 says something similar, referring to the Israelites coming out of Egypt and did all drink of the same spiritual drink, spiritual, and drank of that spiritual rock. So Jesus is following this metaphor that followed them. That is the rock Christ followed the people of Israel. And that rock was Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation. And Jesus didn't come just to give us existence. Listen, you have existence. Jesus came to give you significance. Jesus came to give you and reveal to you the reason for pain and struggle to give you life. Now, pleasure is not the answer. Real life is not pleasure. There's a lot of people that just bask in pleasure and abundance and don't feel they have life. As a matter of fact, heaven would be hell for people without Christ. You know, a lot of people have abundance. They have education. Um, they, have, they have their physical body, but they struggle. And on days alone or rainy days, they struggle. Who am I and what am I doing? And I want to tell you, the solution, the solution is Jesus. Now, sometimes there are chemical reasons why, uh, you know, we're not producing uh, this exact right hormone and so we can have dis uh, depressing thoughts. And I, I'm not discounting that, but I say the root to all of that, and there's a myriad of things, and it's a great science, but the root of all of it is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems. So if we don't solve our spiritual condition with the eternal rock, the living rock, Jesus Christ, we'll find no help, no uh, answers with the shrink. With, uh, we won't find answers with, with chemical or medication. We won't find answers with a vacation. We won't find answers with a displacement or movement over here. We won't find answers with uh, this degree or this station of life changing or that's not the problem the real answer is the living rock do you have that living stone now let me show you the second one and it's tied right to it it's a disallowed stone peter says verse number four is where we're at it's um a living stone disallowed indeed now, disallowed does not just mean to reject. Disallowed means to inspect and then reject. And that's exactly what Israel did with Jesus. Here's the Messiah. Nobody can do these incredible miracles. Truly, he said, he's the way, the truth, and the life. He must be the Messiah, and many followed. But officially, he was rejected. He was disallowed. And I want to say you cannot accept God without accepting Jesus. You cannot worship God without worshiping Jesus. He is the door to heaven, and a door to heaven does no good unless on earth it's hung. And Jesus was hung on the cross to give us access to heaven. Now, it develops this disallowed thought a little bit 
further in verse number seven. So 1 Peter 2, and look at verse number seven. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. We'll get that thought in a second. But unto them which be disobedient. Now, it's not speaking of disobedient to parents, although that could be loosely included. It's talking about being disobedient to the designer, the engineer, the creator, the, the sustainer of life. And when we rebel against God and his word, we are rebelling against the one that, that designed us and made us. And we're, we're suffocating ourselves. We're uh, distancing ourselves from the very answer, the very life that can help us. But the strange thing in our flaw, and that flaw has been handed down through the generations from Adam, is when we rebel, it feels good. When we rebel against what is told to us, we feel empowered. And I know this because that is deep in my DNA. I mean, I feel it, but it's wrong. And all of that rebellion goes eventually back to our creator, unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders, and there's that word again, disallowed, examined, inspected, and said, nah, the same is made the head of the corner. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. What does that mean? Did that ever happen? And all that sort of thing. But dis, the disallowed stone. See, not everyone follows the Messiah. As a matter of fact, all humanity seems to be turning away from God's plan and God's design all through the generations and the millenniums, the centuries. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to where? Destruction. Destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Basically, it's saying following the crowd of humanity is going to lead you the wrong way. You can't take the moral gauge of society and say, oh, it's approved. Oh, it's okay. Everybody else is doing it. You can't do it. And that's Jesus that said that. Now look at verse number 14. Because straight is the gate. That word straight there means restrictive. That means it's, it's confining. Straight is the gate. And narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You know, we got all sorts of narrow ways around our neighborhood. And our church, we own a van that's not so narrow. And it takes a little bit of precision to get that van down those streets. I mean, you can do it. We've never had a incident where we haven't done it. But you have to you have to negotiate. You have to pay attention and you have to analyze and you have to listen to your wife when she says, "The mirror, the mirror." And you got to pull that thing in, okay? <laughs> yeah, narrow, and that's what has to happen in life. You're walking through life and you want to just drive like you're driving through Kansas. But Jesus said, "Listen, you can't just do it any old way. It's narrow." And so you're going to be, ah, and the Holy Spirit will say, watch out, watch out. But those leaders in Jerusalem did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, and they disallowed him. You know, the, um, 
the people that are in the greatest danger in the world are those that have been exposed to the truth, those that have that have seen God, that have enjoyed the, the scriptures, that have, that have sung the, the wonderful truth, and then turn away. Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 11 and verse number 20, down through verse number 24, then began he to upbraid the cities, that is criticize, and the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Jesus did mighty works, miracles, and the goal was for them to recognize him as the Messiah and to repent. But they didn't. They didn't do it. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works were done in you which had been entire in Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and in ashes. In other words, you were given a privilege, the privilege of the truth. And you didn't repent. The truth is to cause you to repent. That is to get on the straight and narrow. But when we don't, we turn to the left, we turn to the right, we get off the path, and we're not walking the ridgeline of God's plan. Look at verse number 22. But I say unto you, and this is Jesus speaking, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. So it's all about the judgment day one day. Verse 23, and thou Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. So apparent advancements today might not be so significant in the future. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. What? Jesus is saying, I came and I came to do miracles, incredible things. And I did them, but I didn't get the response I wanted. You should have recognized me, Jesus said, as the Messiah, but you disallowed. You put me off. You said, no, we want somebody stronger. We want somebody more stately. We want somebody more with more uh, political uh, uh, prowess and, and potential. And you're just the carpenter's son. They disallowed him. Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, which were living in outright homosexuality. They would have remained. They would have repented is what Jesus was saying. Verse number 24, but I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. I think about us with the truth, with the Bible. And, and you know, these cities that Jesus named, they, they didn't have the printed word and, and copies at the house and apps on their phone and all these uh, resources to look at. And, and find, oh, what does that mean? And you can look it up over here in this dictionary. And, and who, who said something about that? And you look over here and there's five different guys all talking about this. And you can know. But are we coming to repentance? You know, the foundation that we stand on, it's not a slippery st- slope. It is a living spiritual rock. Bedrock filled with strength, and you can stand and make a difference. Listen, God wants to use you to make a difference, but you have to make sure you're standing on that living stone, that living stone which is disallowed by the majority, that are living 
in contempt of Christ. And contempt simply means this, something is valued or esteemed beneath consideration, worthless, or even deserving of scorn. So if you were to go into a courtroom and you were not to act properly or speak properly or something, you might be warned. Sir, ma'am, you might be getting close to being accused of contempt of court. That is, you are not treating the judge or, or the attorneys or this courtroom with the respect and reverence it deserves. And so you're just acting any way you want. That's exactly the way these people were acting to Christ. And I believe we are acting to God in many ways. So do, give yourself a quick little rundown. What, what are you doing? Are you disallowing Christ in any way? He's not measuring up to what people might want or say. So Jesus is the living stone. He's also the disallowed stone, which is a negative thing, but it's only by society and only by a few. But for God, he is the chosen stone. Look at verse number four again, chosen stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Now that's number three and that's number four, chosen. That is, you can't know God without Jesus. God has chosen Jesus Christ as, as our path to him. We can't worship God without worshiping Jesus. We have to agree with God. We have to agree with him about who Jesus is. He's the chosen stone. And then it says chosen and precious. Precious, chosen of God and precious. Psalm 22 and verse number 20 is, is where this comes from. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Now, this is a prophecy that David is writing. It has a little bit of reflection about his own life, but is speaking about the Messiah, God's chosen, God's precious son, only begotten, the darling of heaven, and brought down to the lowest point of men, Powerful brutes that inflicted harm and great pain upon the Messiah that held the power of the universe in his hands. Psalm 35 and verse number 17 says something similar. Lord, how long will thou look on? And maybe you've prayed that as you wrestle with something that's awry in your life. Lord, are you even seeing what I'm going through? That's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not, not my will, but thine be done. And each of us has to come to that Garden of Gethsemane place. Now, you should plan. Matter of fact, our Sunday school lesson was about planning. You should plan, you should pray, you should prepare, and you should, you should go forward. But each one of those steps have to be fully submitted and in surrender to God. And heathenism is when you say... Not your will, God. Mine be done. And that's what Eve did in the garden. And that's what Adam did in the garden. And that's what each of our fathers have done all through life. And we as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ must make the choice to enter in, agree with God, that Jesus, the living rock, is, is the darling of heaven and is precious Amen. 
in my sight as well. Look at uh, verse number five. So verse number four gave those four descriptions. Hope you got them down there. Living, disallowed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Now verse number five really brings in a second thing. That is, ye also as lively stones. Um, you've probably heard the, the little phrase, that guy's just a chip off the old block. And that means he's just like his dad. And she's, they're acting just like their father. Sometimes that's an insult. I think most of the time that's a compliment. And, but that's what we should be. We are called Christians because we are following in the steps of Christ. I, I've heard that originally that was meant as an insult. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They were like, that's a disciple of Christ. That's a, a Christian. And then we said, yeah, that, yeah, we're a chip off the old block. Right. Now, there is a common thought, and I've wrestled with it. I'm sure you have too, that we believe in God and we believe in Jesus, but we struggle a little bit with the church. <laughs> And we struggle a little bit with the Christians. Be honest, how many of you have struggled? Just a little bit with the church and Christians and all that stuff? All right, that's Bijan and I. All right, okay. <clears throat> Thank you, Bijan. <clears throat> We've struggled just a little bit. But listen, God wants us to commit to him as well as to his followers. Ye also as lively stones, that is living, a little bit different. We get our life from him. Lively stones are built up a spiritual house. And God could have made, a, I guess, a one stone church house, but he didn't choose to. He chose to use you and me. Now, we are trying to build or buy church houses, and some are made of wood and and some are made of stone, and some are made of brick, and some are made of gold. But you know, God doesn't even care about all that stuff. You know what God cares about? Beating hearts, thinking minds, bright eyes. That's what God wants. He wants us built up a spiritual house and a holy priesthood, not just positional. And I have this, this position and this authority given to me by somebody and they recognize me or, and that's in the Bible a little bit. But what God looks for is the spiritual and holy element. And it's for this reason, to offer up spiritual sacrifices, not the lambs and the, and the pigeons and the, and the bullocks, but something spiritual. And the goal is to be acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So my life, your life, our lives, we are to be knit together. You know the strongest wall or structure that's built is stones. And you take the stones and you fit them together. And they don't have mortar between them to kind of fill in the cracks but they fit together and they lock together. And you've seen some of those structures. They're famous because they stand and stand and, and they keep standing. What's one, of, what's one of those famous structures? Machu Picchu, that's right. What's another one? The, the Great Pyramid, that's right. And, all the, and these stones are fitted together perfectly. It's an amazing thing. And that's what God is doing at Graceway and that's what God is doing spiritually all around the world. 
Now, using buildings and programs and, and systems and governments, but really the whole goal is to lock people together. Lock people together. Um, Luke, stand up here with me. Bijan, come on up here with me. And so, and, and, and come up here, Alex. And, and here, uh, God, is, God is there. And, and let's, let's say this pulpit here is God, and he's the standing stone, uh, the, the foundation stone. And then we come together, and I come in here, and Luke, we come in here, and we're fit together, and we're locked together, and we are unified. And we are going to go forward with God, and and I've got you, and you've got me, and I got, and we've got each other. And when somebody falters just a little bit, somebody else just holds them up, and we're locked together. Now listen, Alex, do you believe in Christ? Yes. And Luke, you believe in Christ? Yes. Bijan, you, you believe yes. in Christ? And I do too. But what if we unlocked here, and what if we all believed in Christ individually? Well, that's good. We believe in Christ. That, but now we're more vulnerable. And we can be swayed this way and that way. And somebody will go to the left and somebody will go to the right and fall back and step forward and we're all over the place. But God spiritually unites us. Let's come together one more time here. And we lock together and God fits us together and we bind together and it's a miracle of God. It's, it's not intellect. It's not social. It's not human. It's spiritual. Living stone, and we're chips off the old block. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Give these guys a hand, if you would. <clears throat> Living stones. Now, here's what's supposed to be uh, done. It, it's right there in the verse there, uh, verse number five. Built up together. You see that? A spiritual house, not a, just a one stone, one brick house. I've heard of a one-room schoolhouse, but uh, uh, not just one brick. Uh, listen, we're all together, and the intricacy and the fitting together of all these different... Man, it's magnificent. As a matter of fact, in New Guinea, Deborah, we, um, we helped our people. We led them into a building program where we went down to the river and got these huge stones and brought them up on top of the hill. I had no idea how much work that was, but we did it. And then we fit all these stones together, and then we used mortar and, and cemented them together. The chiseling thing, I, we weren't so good at that. And then we polished them up, and we put uh, some, some varnish over it. Oh, man, it is magnificent. You see all those stones, and they have the blue ones and the green ones, a little bit of a red streak through it, and some of them has a little bit of glitter. It's magnificent. It's what God made. We just sort of lined it up. And God is quarrying the hearts of men out of sin and fitting us together. Amen. And we're committing. There's, there's two things that need to happen if, if we're going to be stable. We've got to commit together. That's how you get started. Right, right. And then you've got to be consistent. And that's how you finish. Right, right. Without commitment and consistency, you're not going to make it. One is how you start. The other is how you finish. But look at it, that we are built up, built up. So church is to build up and strengthen and encourage to go forward and to do right. And it's a spiritual house. It's not a physical element. Now, here's the privilege here of this holy priesthood. Now, the priest in the Old Testament worked in the temple, and the temple had three parts to it, of the outer court, and then the holy place or the inner court, and then the holiest of holies, and that was way inside. 
It's much like we are physically. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. With one, we interact with physical things. With our soul, we interact with intellectual things, emotional things. And with our spirit, we interact with God. And a lost man, his spirit is dead. But once you repent of your sins and put your trust in Christ, your spirit is made alive, and you are alive unto God, and you can interact with God. And that's the privilege. Listen, you have an incredible privilege that that only the priest could enter into that place, that holy of holies, and it would only happen once a year. And there was a great veil there that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was and the mercy seat. And that priest would go in there, and uh, people, all of Israel would be so nervous on the Day of Atonement. Would God accept his sacrifice? Would we be forgiven of our sin? And then he would come out, and it would be a great festivity and all these sort of things, and it was all a foreshadow of when the, the true sacrifice, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, would come one day. But we have an incredible, an incredible privilege, the greatest privilege in the world. It's not to make a million dollars or go to Congress or to invent some great software or some physical thing or work at this masterful company. The greatest privilege in the whole world is to enter into that holy place and be able to communicate with God. It's prayer. It's reading the scripture. And we're doing just like we're doing right now. But how few of us actually utilize that privilege and take advantage of what God has freely given us. It's a holy priesthood. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 27 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, and let's say it together, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, the greatest hope in the world is not just that there's a Messiah, but it's Christ in you, the Messiah indwells, that God became man and lived a perfect life, died, was buried, rose again the third day, and and then left so that the Holy Spirit could come and indwell us, and we can now interact with God and intercede for the nations. Talk about change makers and difference makers. Now, let me warn you, there is another way to make a change and a difference. It's well documented. If you study it, it's all around you. It's opposite of this. The change God wants to make is standing on a solid foundation. The other change is the slippery slope of change. You destabilize things. Oh, and you can make all kinds of change. Destabilize the economy. Destabilize the political system. Destabilize the educational system. Uh, Break people's confidence in in the rules and the authorities of of a given area. If you do that, oh, you can bring in some change. Boy, I wish I could think of an example to give you of this. But that's not the change that God brings. God uses people, calls them, stands them up, puts them on a solid ground, and they're confident, and they bring about the change that brings them back to the original path. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are lively stones. And the practice here, so the privilege, but the practice. 
Jump down here to um, verse number nine. Ye are a chosen generation. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number nine. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And he's not speaking of Israel here. He's speaking of all those who by faith follow the Lord Jesus Christ. A peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, Christians sometimes spend great amounts of money and effort to learn how to walk in darkness. And you can. Matter of fact, you can get pretty good at walking in darkness. You really can. But God doesn't want us to walk in darkness. He wants us to walk in the light. Learn to walk in the light. The Bible declares, learn not the ways of the heathen. You don't have to know everything. I mean, I walk down the street. There's an alley just across the way. We're here on 9th Street. 8th Street, there's all these great restaurants, coffee shops, places I want to go. The quickest way to get there is this little alley. Along that alley is the, the big garbage bins. What are the big ones called? The dumpsters. The big dumpsters for all those restaurants. And I'm like hungry, and I'm like wanting some coffee, and I'm walking down. And the first few times I did it, I, I didn't realize I have to hold my breath there. But I breathe, and I, I wasn't hungry for lunch anymore. It's a great diet plan. I don't need anything. Uh, but you know what? I don't have to go right up in there and examine, what do we got in here? What is it that is stinking? Make a little index of all the whole... That stinks, I'm staying away from it. The Bible declares that we should be simple concerning evil. It means you know a little bit. You know just enough. Yeah, you know about, yeah, I I got all, I don't need any more. No, you need to smell this. No, I don't. (laughs) I don't want to smell it. I don't want to taste it. I don't want it on me. No. And then somebody says, well, you got to try it. You just might like it. That'd be the worst thing ever. I don't want to try it, and I sure don't want to like it. Listen, God's made you for light, his light, his truth, his oxygen, his way. Walk in the light. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to walk in the light. you got to walk in the light. You know, let me give you this one. Hebrews 13, man, I'm hustling, I'm hustling. Hebrews 13, verse number 15 says this, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of what? Praise Praise to God. Here's a sacrifice you need to offer and I need to offer. Now, sacrifice always costs you something. The sacrifice of praise to God. How often should we be doing that? Continually, all the time. I'm, I'm living it out. I'm breathing it sacrifice. And my heart is filled with joy. I'm overwhelmed with the incredible privilege that I can sacrifice to to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Be thankful. Be thankful. This week, this week, I want you to go out into the community, and I want you to be grateful, and I want you to be thankful. And I mean on the rainy days and on the gray days, and you're like, don't dial into how do you feel. I told the the people at um, the national prayer meeting last night, I said, you know, a common greeting of a few generations ago 
was, how do you do? But now we say, how do you feel? Now, sometimes we'll say, how you doing? But it doesn't mean, what are you doing? It really means, how do you feel? And our generation has really tapped into how I feel. Well, I feel a little bit like this, and I feel a little bit like, skip how you feel. Just get busy and do something for God. Uh, how do you think these uh, young Jewish boys, let's, let's, uh, let's bring this into light here, the sacrifice of praise. Here's a young, young Jewish family, and here's this, this man, and he's got his wife, maybe one kid or two, and they're just brand new. And, of course, his daddy was a, a sheep herder, and, and he's a sheep herder, and, and he inherited some lambs, and, and he's, got these, he's got these five or six lambs. He's got this one lamb that it is, that's the best lamb. And its uh, wool is like this, and its ears are like that, and it's got some spring to its step, and, you know, it's got this personality, and that's the, that's the best one. And he's saying, that's going to sire my herd. I want that DNA to continue. And all of a sudden, it's time to sacrifice a lamb. And the Bible said, you're supposed to bring the best, and he's got to evaluate. Okay. Well, this lamb hasn't sired anything. It's the lamb of the first year. And you know what God has done? He has asked them to trust him. He can't bring the second best. He has to bring the best and offer it before God. And it's the very thing he's confident in, he's trusting in. And that's what God asks all of us. You know what worship is? Worship is the element of sacrifice. Worship is the element of submission. And worship is the element of significance. You're not worshiping if you're not sacrificing. You're not worshiping if you're not submitting. And you're not worshiping unless you are recognizing the supremacy of something. Now, you can worship football or basketball or education or strength or power or this hobby or that. Or, and what do you do? You sacrifice for it. And you think about it all the time. You kind of submit to that thought process. And then you recognize its supremacy. That's what we're supposed to be doing with God. And as Christians, believers in Christ, it's not just a freebie. Listen, we are supposed to be bringing those elements of worship to our Lord, the sacrifice of praise to him. And it's continual. You know, the, uh, the robe of the priest, it was wrapped with a pomegranate and a bell, and a pomegranate and a bell all the way around. I think that's symbolic, that pomegranate, course of fruit indigenous to the Middle East, 613 seeds in it. It's symbolic of, of fruit bearing, the fruit of the Spirit, producing the real fruit. And that bell is symbolic of proclaiming, proclaiming the truth. And we're to ring the bell to proclaim, to tell people. And we're to show the fruit to convince people. And, and a coward is somebody that has the fruit but won't tell. A cheat is somebody that always tells but doesn't possess it. But a Christian is somebody that has the pomegranate and the bell. 
Now look at verse number six. I got to hustle. I got to hustle. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's hustling. And, and shift your back just a little bit. Shift your back. We're okay. Verse number six. Therefore also it is contained in the scripture. And here it is. Behold, I lay in Zion. And that is a word for Zion and Israel. A chief cornerstone. Chief cornerstone, precious, uh, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Number six is the chief cornerstone. This is the, the stone that the builders refused. That becomes the head of the corner, speaking of Jesus Christ coming the first time and is rejected, but will come again one day to rule and reign for a thousand years. Psalms 118 and verse number 23 says, this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice, say it with me, and be glad in it. Listen, that's what God wants. Isaiah 28 and verse 16 says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Now, this word, not make haste in Hebrew there in Isaiah is, is speaking of the same word here in First Peter that Peter uses. It means you're literally, you're not in a hurry to get away. You ever do something wrong and you're like, you didn't quite get caught and you're like, I'm getting out of here. And you're not make haste. You're not in a hurry to get away. You're not ashamed. You're not confused. You're not confounded. You ever told a lie? I didn't mean somebody else told a lie. You told a lie. And then you were like, uh, uh, you forgot which way you were going there with that? <laughs> I know you haven't. Okay. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 3 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Listen, the foundation to the new life, the hope is Jesus Christ. It is the foundation. There is no hope outside of it. It's not baptism. It's not giving an offering. It's not good works. It's not good deeds. It's not church membership. It's none of these things. Listen, it is Jesus Christ. You must build your life upon the solid rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. First, uh, Colossians declares that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and in invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Let's say it together. All things were created by him and for him. You were created by him and for him. I was, you were. Our last point, number seven, verse seven. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner and a stone of stumbling. That's the seventh, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at thy word, being disobedient, whereunto they were anointed. You know what verses seven and eight are saying? You are going to recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah and stand upon him, or you will stumble. 
Everybody comes in contact with Jesus Christ. The seventh element here is the stumbling stone. Somehow all come in contact with Jesus. You're saved by Jesus or judged by Jesus. I heard of an attorney that had helped a certain convict many times escape the judgment he deserved. And then later he was a, a promoted to be a judge. And he contacted that, that felon that he had helped many times and been paid well by and said, I'm accepting this position as a judge. And beware, next time you stand before me, I will not be bought or bribed. I will not help you. I will not, I will not be lenient. I know your life inside and out, and the hammer will come down. You know that Jesus Christ is our advocate right now. He has paid our price. And if you will submit yourself to him and go stand before him and confess your sin and put your trust in Christ, he will save you and he'll forgive you of your sin. But to reject him, to reject the foundation stone, you become the stumbling stone. You fall over or stand upon Jesus Christ. He is unavoidable. You must deal with Jesus Christ. So who do you say Jesus Christ is? Is he your foundation? You know, all of this comes from a story, a legend. It's not recorded in Scripture. But when they were hewing out the stones for Solomon's temple, there was a brilliant stone. It was magnificent. It was strong. The light shone through it a little bit, so it might have had some crystal in it. Magnificent stone, and all these stones were quarried at the quarry and hewn to the exact dimensions they needed to be and delivered to the job site. Well, they came to the Temple Mount, the job site, and for whatever reason, when they were doing this, the builders rejected that beautiful stone. And of course, the temple took 40 and 6 years to build. They pushed it off to the side, and they pushed it off to the side, and they pushed it off the whole place. It was oddly shaped. It was different. And it was rejected. They kept moving it back because it always was in the way as they're bringing up all these stones for the walls and the found and everything. When they got to the pinnacle, they didn't have the stone. And the builders, they were the priests, they went back to the quarry and said, where's the, the pinnacle stone right above the Holy of Holies as you enter in that great arch, the key stone? They said, we sent it to you first. What? Somehow there was a mix-up. And the pinnacle, the arch stone, the keystone, the head of the corner, was sent first to be the foundation. But it was rejected and pushed off to the side. People tripped over it and stumbled over it, ate lunch on it, ignored it for 46 years. And at the very end, they recognized it, and it was placed at the head, at the key, the Holy of Holies. My friends, that's Jesus Christ. He came 
was born of a virgin, people said, no, come on. Not this guy, the carpenter's son. And the stone which was disallowed of men, unto you he is precious. And we receive him. And he's the head of the corner. Why do people reject him? Doubt, disbelief, hatred, hurts, disappointments. What are you struggling with? As we stand to our feet, I want to ask you, what are you living for? Are you living for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you standing on the solid rock? Or are you submitting to anything else? Thank you for listening, and we hope you were helped by that message from Pastor Brad Wells. Reach out to us anytime at gracewaydc.com or come visit us in person, Sundays at 11, Thursdays at 7. We'll be back next week with another message from Graceway Baptist Church, right here on Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill.